right, if you would, please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, and we'll begin at the end of the chapter today, verses 41 to 44. Mark 12, verses 41 to 44. I'd like to preach to you today about special sacrifices. With a title like that, it seems as if there are many things we could say. We're going to try to limit our comments to what we can find from the passage that we're going to read. Mark 12 and verse number 41. The Bible says, And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. I have in the past tried to explain a mite and a farthing. You understand it's just a denomination of money. And trying to figure out the equivalent to that in rands. I don't know how profitable that would be because the rand is always fluctuating. We're not sure what a mite and a farthing would have been worth. So I think you can understand the point of the story. It's rubbing her two cents together, right? Two mites, very little money. Verse 43, and he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had even all her living. If you would please bow your heads with me. Let's ask God to help us this morning. Father, thank you this morning that we can meet, sing, pray, worship you, turn our attention to things above. Father, we need this. We need to hear from you. We need your hand upon us. Please fill me now as I try to preach your word, and I pray that you would let the seed fall on good ground, let it bring forth fruit. Father, I know that the work of preaching only starts here, And it continues, right? The job of preaching continues throughout the week as that seed grows and brings forth fruit 30, 60, 100-fold. Please help us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, this passage, I believe, shows us clearly how highly Jesus values a sacrifice, how highly and how special it it is to God. We read in Philippians 4.18, I've given you the verse on your outline, Paul is telling the Philippians there about the support of missionaries. He says, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor, odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well pleasing to God. Now, folks, anytime I see something in the Bible where it talks about pleasing God, I'm interested in that. I want to dig into that and find out how can we do that better. What can I change or add to or take away from my life so that it is more acceptable and well-pleasing to God? What I find from this passage in Mark 12 is this poor widow accomplished that. She gave an acceptable sacrifice to God. I want to give you two, two things about sacrifices before we get into the main body of the sermon. Number one, the definition, and then number two, a couple of warnings. You can see on your outline, I've given you some space if you would like to write these down. What is the definition of a sacrifice? You go to the dictionary, and it will tell you giving something important or valued for the sake of other considerations. Now, obviously, that's very broad. When we think of this in a biblical, godly type of term, it's giving something important or valued for the sake of Christ or for for God's sake. I think this is a safe thing to say, especially if you've read the book of Leviticus. Some people don't make it that far in their Bible reading, but when you get to Leviticus, the first seven chapters is burnt offering, meat offering, peace offering, sin offering, voluntary offering, trespass offering, you're going to like this one. In Leviticus 2, if you really dig deep, there's a pancake offering, a flapjack offering. It's in there. There, there is a popcorn offering. Amen. This, this afternoon at the couple's event, we'll probably make a popcorn offering unto God, right? There are all sorts of sacrifices. They come in various shapes and sizes, 
And there's no way that I can possibly mention all of the potential sacrifices that we can offer to God. Let, it say, let me say this, at the very least, a sacrifice is supposed to cost you something. It's supposed to cost you something. It's giving something valuable or important for the sake of other considerations. Now, a couple of warnings about a sacrifice. Number one, don't sacrifice in the place of obedience. Do not think that the one replaces the other. Do not sacrifice in the place of obedience. We need not search any farther than 1 Samuel chapter 15 to see a perfect illustration of this. God told Saul, wipe out the Amalekites. Don't spare anything. What does he do? He does about 95% of the job, but he spares the best of the Amalekites, their sheep, their oxen, their king. And he comes back to Samuel and says, looky here, I've obeyed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel says, what is this lowing of the oxen and this bleeding of the sheep that I hear? If you obeyed the commandment of the Lord, we shouldn't hear any animals coming behind you. And he said, but I've spared something to sacrifice unto the Lord. Now, under most circumstances, offering a sacrifice to God as a way of saying thank you for your help in the battle would have been something acceptable. But God specifically said not to do that. And you cannot say, well, God, I, I don't mind doing X, Y, Z, but I don't really feel comfortable with A, B, C, so I will make up my own form of worship and expect you to accept what I'm doing. The prophet clearly told Saul to obey is better than to sacrifice. We find in the book of Hosea, God said this to the people. He said, I don't, I don't desire burnt offerings. I desire mercy. I want you to know how, know how to receive mercy <clears throat> and how to give mercy. I want that more than burnt offerings. I want the knowledge of God more than sacrifices on, a, on an altar. And the people of Israel were coming to the temple. So I'm a bit, that's a bit loud there. Coming to the temple, offering things on the altar without any heart in it. And God said, you're giving a sacrifice, but that is not acceptable. There are some things I've told you specifically that I want. Obey rather than sacrifice. The second warning I'll give you. Don't give God something he doesn't want. I must admit, I made that note as I was preparing for the sermon, and then I spent about two days meditating on that sentence. Don't give God something he doesn't want. And I tried to look at that from every angle, and I believe there's some biblical support for this. Not all sacrifices are acceptable. You read in Isaiah chapter 1, God told the Israelites that were coming to the temple, offering these multiple sacrifices on the altar, but with no heart to it. He said, I hate what you're doing. I cannot away with these sacrifices. He said, I, I, I can't stand to see you guys doing this over and over again. Again, we can turn just to the beginning of the Bible and see that not every sacrifice is acceptable with God. Just ask Cain. Right? Abel brought an, a sacrifice, and when he offered it up, the Lord accepted it, and then Cain brought his basket of fruit. And as the old song says, you can't get blood from a turnip. <laughs> And it wasn't acceptable with God, and God turned it away. Don't give God something he doesn't want. And I'll, I'll let you meditate on that and, and, and think in your life how that might apply. This story that we have here, I believe Jesus is using what the widow did as an opportunity to teach his disciples something incredibly important about sacrificing on God's behalf. I believe the Holy Spirit preserved it in Scripture so that not only those 12 apostles that were with him can learn these lessons, but even you and I, 2,000 years later, we have an opportunity to learn a few things about sacrifices, special sacrifices made unto God. So let me come right to the three things I'd like to pull from this passage today. The first thing I want to say I believe is the most obvious thing, and no doubt you can also discern this just by reading the story yourself. This is number one on the outline. Little things can make a big difference. Little things can make a big difference. Back in these biblical times, if just to help you understand the setup, you read in verse 41, Jesus sat over against the treasury. 
Jesus has just come from a scathing rebuke of the Pharisees and the scribes and hypocrites. You guys remember this passage where he says, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, you're whited sepulchers, you clean the outside of the cup and platter. And the last thing he said to them was, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Speaking about the temple. And as Jesus is making his way out of the temple, he stops at the treasury, which was just kind of at the, at the entrance thereof. He stops and he sits down. Now, at, the, at that entry, at the treasury portion of the temple, there were 13 different chests set up to receive various offerings. And they were labeled. You could give something towards this project or towards helping the priest. And there were 13 different causes. And then we know from how the giving was being done here. The rich were casting in more uh, as far as the, the number, right? They were casting in larger amounts. The widow cast in two mites. This was a voluntary offering given to support the temple project. Strangely enough, these chests, Herod the Great, when he rebuilt the temple in these times, he actually had it set up so that these chests looked like trumpets. And I find that interesting because Jesus said, when you give your alms, when you give this voluntary offering to help the poor or a building project or whatever it is, do not sound a trumpet before you. Don't do it to gain recognition from men. Don't do it to be seen of men. Unfortunately, many of the people, when they went to the temple, and this was happening with the rich, they'd cast in their abundance and then kind of wait for the applause. Look at what I've done. And Jesus, I believe, this is his direct purpose for saying this. He wants to fix the thinking of not only his disciples, but all the people around to say, you think the rich are making a big difference. And yes, they cast in of their abundance and the, the number of their offering, the, right, the amount of it, is a big amount. But don't forget that what that widow did is actually in heaven's bank account, it counts more. Don't despise the day of small things, as the prophet Zechariah said. This poor widow, this little old lady with her little old offering is making a big difference. Now, if you're only looking at the numbers, if you're an accountant, and I don't mean to speak ill of accountants, we have some in the church, but if you're an accountant and you're just looking at the numbers on the page, then the rich did more, didn't they? We don't know how much they gave, but obviously they gave of their abundance. And for a widow to come in and cast in a two mites, if you're just looking at the numbers and don't pay attention to the rest of the story, well then, the rich did more. But obviously Jesus is looking at more of the story than just the numbers at the bottom of a page. Jesus is looking at the context in which they gave. He doesn't ignore that these rich people might have 10 million, let's say, can we say rand? Is that okay? Just to bring it home a little bit. They might have 10, 10 million rand in the bank. They might give 10,000 in an offering. Well, that's a big offering. But in relation to the 10 million, you see, when you look at the context, it's really not even making a dent in their bank account. We use this saying all the time, don't we? We help somebody, they say thank you. We say, oh, it was nothing. Right? It was nothing. Now, people say that for two reasons. Sometimes we say that because we're deflecting attention from what we've just done. Right? It actually was something. It was a big deal. We had to save up two or three weeks to, to, to offer that help. You know, or we had to sacrifice some other time uh, from, from some other important people in our life or some other project. It is a big deal. But we say it was nothing. Now, are we lying? No, I don't think so, because our love and concern for that person overshadows whatever sacrifice we made, so really, it was nothing. I, I don't even consider it a bother, a burden, or even a sacrifice, because I wanted to do this, right? So we say it was nothing. But then some people say it, and they literally mean it. And it's not an evil thing, by the way. But if a guy has 10 million and he offers 10,000 to him, that Really, he wouldn't even miss it. He wouldn't even know it was gone. If you had stolen it, he wouldn't have noticed it. Now, don't go around stealing just because you won't notice it, but you understand when he says it was nothing, he, he means to me that wasn't really that big of a deal because I have an abundance of it. Jesus looks at the whole story. 
He looks at what's going on in this lady's life, takes that into account and says, for her under these circumstances to come and give two mites, this is a big deal. The world would pass by and say, you're not making a difference. Jesus stopped, watched what was happening and said, lady, you're making a big difference. The world may not count it as much, but heaven counts it as something very valuable. A sacrifice is always going to be valuable to, to the one for whom it was given, whether that's God or to somebody else, right? You know when somebody's gone out of their way to help you, and you can appreciate when you understand their whole story, wow, this person's so busy or doesn't have a lot of this, and yet they sacrificed on my behalf. It is, even though the rest of the world looks at it and says, that was so small, to you it's a big deal because you know the whole story. If there's something we can learn here, Jesus knows the whole story. He's looking at the entire context of what's going on in your life, and it means something to you, to him. Now, I, I recognize that as we, and I'm going to put myself in this category, we read this, and there might be a bit of a disconnect between you and the poor widow. Because let's be honest, not all of you are poor widows, are you? You read this story and go, wow, two mites? I'm not sure how much that is, but it doesn't sound like much. I have more than two mites. Don't, don't most of you have, again, we don't know what the mite is, but don't you think you have more than two mites? You read this and you go, well, I don't think I could ever do what this widow did because I don't have the same situation. And you might think, well, it's wonderful what she did, but it's not my story. This will never be my story in the condition I'm in right now. Let me maybe present this in a different light. Let's put it in a different perspective. I think this is a true statement generally. Maybe there there are some exceptions. I think all of us, in one way or another, experience deep poverty in one way or another right in some ways we have an abundance and in other ways we have deep poverty let me explain what I mean for some of you you might have enough money you no doubt you wouldn't consider it abundant right that's subjective but I think you would say I have enough money I have more than two mites but you know what you might have deep poverty with time when you look at how much extra time you have you say I don't have two minutes to rub together Forget the two cents. I have money in the bank, but I have money in the bank because I've given all my time to the office. And therefore, I have no extra time. Maybe, maybe, you look at at the resources you have in life. Say, I have money, I have housing, I have clothing, I have food, I have some of those things. But you know, I'm one of those guys that is a jack of all trades and a master of none. I don't have specialized skills. So when it comes to certain projects, certain needs, I really don't have that much to offer. And there you feel a bit of poverty. You do not have an abundance of specialized skills. Again, let me illustrate. We have a building project coming up in the church. I have no specialized skills in that area at all. If you leave the building project to me, we're going to have four very short walls stacked up with bricks, no mortar, because I don't know how to do that part. And I would, I would please recommend don't come to church because the walls will fall on us. <laughs> it's not going to be a strong structure. I have no idea what to do with it. I don't even know who to go see to get what papers signed. To, I, I have no clue. Now, you might look at that and say, well, then, Pastor, you have nothing to offer. Well, I got two hands. I can carry bricks. I don't know where to put them. If somebody will tell me where to put them, I will act as a human wheelbarrow, (laughs) right? You say, I'm not a doctor. There are plenty of people sick nowadays. Hospitals are filling up. I would like to make a difference, but I have no special skills to treat these people. Amen, me either, right? My cure-all for every disease is rub dirt on it. (laughs) That's not very scientific or medical, but it is biblical, Because the very first thing God did for man is rub dirt on him. I'll I'll give you a minute to think on that. Genesis 2, right? The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. He rubbed dirt on him. (laughs) So I'm just taking you back to your roots. That's all. Now, I don't suggest that as a medical cure for anything. Although you ladies do rub mud on. But anyway, I'm, I'm not trying to prove that this morning. But I have no special skills in the area of medicine. 
So I might look at what's going on in the world and all the sicknesses and COVID and so forth and think, I have nothing much to offer. Well, that's true, medically speaking, but maybe I can pitch up, sit with the person and pray with them. Maybe I can just show up and encourage them. Maybe I can go into the hospital and, and sing a song with them or for them. I've done that before. You'd be surprised what a difference that can make, depending on how well you can sing, right? Maybe you are a little poor in that area as well. <laughs> know, what, know what your resources are, but you might be able to make some sort of a difference. So do you understand all of us can relate to this story, maybe not in the same way as the widow. We may not have poverty as far as money, but in some way, we don't have a lot of something. So here's the point I'd really like to drive home. The temptation will be to look at the thing that we are lacking. Do you see in verse 44? For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want. Now, the word want, we use it differently today. We refer to it as I, I desire something, I want something. The word want many times in the Bible speaks of lacking something. She cast in of what she was lacking. She did not have a lot of money, and yet she saw fit to offer it to God anyway. Here's the lesson. Look at you, the resources you have in your life, and do not just look at what you have extra of and say, well, I can give some of that because by the time I'm done giving it, it won't hurt that much. I won't even know that it's gone. I'm not saying don't give from, from that side. That's fine. But the temptation is to say, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of specialized skills. Therefore, I'm not even going to consider using any of these things that I lack because if I use these things I lack, I'm not going to make a big difference. If this story teaches us anything, don't despise the day of small things. Even though you may not be great at this or have a lot to offer, quantify, if we quantify it compared to other people, it doesn't mean you still can't use that thing to offer something well-pleasing and valuable and special to God. Years ago in America, as we traveled around, we visited a lot of churches, and we got to a church in Michigan, and I, that night it was a very small church, about 10 people, and I presented the the ministry that we wanted to do in Malawi. By the end of the service, I think there were maybe six people there by the end of it. It, it was a small, kind of a dying church at the, at the time. And I didn't expect any great offering. I didn't expect any support, to be honest. I didn't think that they could financially handle supporting another missionary. And that night, I'll never forget, an old lady, probably in her 80s, stopped me before I headed out the door and said, said, Brother Mike, I live on a fixed income. I don't have much, but I would like to get involved. I am going to set aside 25 extra dollars out of my budget to support your ministry. Now this lady really didn't have $25 to do that. Her budget was already taken up with other things, but she decided to take something that was important and valuable to her, something that would directly affect her life she waited against her own needs and the need of spreading the gospel on the other side of the world and said, I want to get involved. Now, when you put $25 on the spreadsheet, that $25 is a drop in the bucket. If you don't consider the back story, that by the time she sends the money from Michigan to my bank account in Florida, and then Florida to Africa, just the transfer fees for the bank is more than $25. So the temptation would be what? To say, listen, you're not even going to make a difference. This money's not even going to see Africa. Don't get involved. And yet I am firmly convinced on, in, on two ways. She made a difference. Not only I believe God recognized her heart behind it and appreciated and counted that sacrifice special and valuable, but it meant something to me. It made a difference to me. And if she could only pay for the bank fees, at least she did something. And that something will never be taken away from her. I'll never forget on another occasion, I stopped in a church in Indiana. And this particular pastor had two churches that he oversaw. 
So I was gonna preach in one at nine o'clock and then we'd rush down the road preaching another one at 11 o'clock. So I show up at the nine o'clock church, I preach and it happens. Don't worry, don't be nervous, but it happens. Somebody fell asleep. It happens. So this gentleman in the back, you know, he's snoozing. Now I could see that when, when I got up to speak. Through the announcements, through the song, he was sleeping. I get up, because I was sitting at the front of the church. I got up and began to speak. He woke up. And he stayed awake. I thought, well, that was all right. Hey, he woke up. He came to me afterwards, and he said, Brother Mike, I just want to let you know I was awake for your sermon. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You know, I mean, if you're starving for a compliment, that's a compliment, I think. (laughs) I was awake for your sermon. (laughs) It's something. Now, see, if you don't know the backstory, you would almost feel a little offended that this guy usually, and he told me, usually when I come to church, I just sleep the whole time. That is not really a great report. That's not a great testimony until you know the whole story. He said, Brother Mike, I work all night. Seven days a week, I work 12-hour shifts. He said, as soon as I knock off from my work, I come straight to church And I do my best to stay awake, but usually I can't because I'm so tired. He said, today, the the topic you were discussing and the stories you were telling, it just grabbed my attention and I stayed awake. It, It had nothing to do with me or my delivery. He was concerned about missions and the story that morning had to do with Uh, preaching the gospel, and that really touched his heart. Now, don't you know that kind of person who doesn't have a lot of time, who has very little energy, he took the little time and the little energy he had, and he stayed awake. And I wonder, the people, the rest of the people in the service, they came, they had enough coffee to stay awake, but their heart wasn't in it. And then God looks down from heaven at this man who is tired, sleepy, heavy eyes, but interested. And God says, now this guy, that means something to me. That sacrifice is special to me. So a little bit, a little thing can make a big difference. Second thing I want to point out from this story, and I actually don't have any verse I can point you to. You just have to know the whole story. The second thing, number two, the woman never knew. The woman never knew. And what I mean by that, in verse 43 and 44, again, this isn't spelled out here, but you can indirectly see it. It says, He, Jesus, calling unto him his disciples, saith unto them. Jesus pulled the disciples aside and told them about this. He did not stop the woman. He did not approach the woman and say, let me tell you something. The woman never knew that Jesus saw what she did. The woman never knew that Jesus commended what she did. Let me ask you this. Do you think the woman would have been encouraged had Jesus approached her and said, hey, you know, no one else recognizes what you're doing and you've probably done this before and no one ever said thank you. Just want to say thank you. I appreciate this. What a blessing. I don't think that would have been wrong. I don't think it would have been bad. It probably would have encouraged the lady and all would have been fine. But let me play this out the other way. And maybe we can learn a thing or two about why he didn't do it. Number one, if this lady did this for God and not to get attention from men, wouldn't wouldn't it have been counterproductive for Jesus to then go and give her attention? If she was doing this just to show God how important he was to her and how important the house of God was, then she already had her reward. She didn't need the real-time public commendation, the pat on the back. She was just fine with how it worked out. Number two, if Jesus had gone to the lady in the presence of the disciples and publicly made a spectacle of this. Now, we know Jesus wouldn't have blown it out of proportion, but if he would have said, lady, thank you, this, this is really special, If I'm one of the the disciples, I might start to think this. I am a follower of Jesus. And therefore, because I want to follow his example, if I see someone doing something good, I need to rush over to them and make a public speech, if you will, and say, hey, look, everyone, this lady did something great. Now, these are the leaders of the New Testament church. 
Can you imagine how that might have played out into the New Testament? Now these men, pastors of a church, we're talking over 10,000 members. If you've read the book of Acts, right? Over 10,000 members in that early church in Jerusalem. If you're a leader in the church, you're going to get very tired of going over to all the people going, good job, good job, good job. You're never going to preach a sermon. You're never going to pray a prayer. You're never going to do anything but pat people on the back. And then what if you do a human thing and accidentally skip somebody? Oh, man, now you blew it. Now that person's going to say, what about me? Everybody else got commendation, not me. Oh, let's not go down that path. So I think just to set a precedent... Jesus intentionally doesn't go to this woman. Now, let me be clear. I don't think it's wrong to pat somebody on the back. I do think that there are times that that is necessary and not wrong when it happens. Even here in church, you, I do this for a couple of reasons. Sometimes I will announce a certain ministry or project that's going on. I'm not trying to just shine the light on a certain person to give them vain glory. I'm giving the church an opportunity to get involved in that project, you see? So sometimes it's, can we call it a necessary evil, to put a spotlight on that particular thing. Other times I will mention what somebody's done, and I try to be very cautious about this. I've made this mistake in the past of actually putting the name in there. If I can, I avoid that because I don't know of anybody that pitches in and helps out so that they can get a, a public commendation from the pulpit that's not why they did it so I try to just leave that part out but I sometimes mention that this was done or that was done because in Hebrews chapter 10 it says that we should consider one another to provoke and to, unto love and to good works and I know that many times the good things that happen go unseen and folks let me tell you I don't even get to the majority of the good things that go on I believe you did it for the Lord, and I'm happy to leave it there. But every now and then, as God leads me, I will mention something to accomplish that purpose, to provoke you to love and to good works, to let you know that these things are happening, and maybe you can also get involved in some of those things. Let me say the third thing. If, if we play this out, if Jesus would have gone and publicly commended this woman, the disciples might have learned or might have thought this, that if my good deed is not immediately thanked, it's not immediately recognized, then maybe what I did is inferior. Maybe what I did really wasn't that great. So if Jesus would have set that as a precedent, I think there might have been some very wrong conclusions drawn from that. So I think Jesus was very wise in how he did this. The way it worked out, there's three things that we can see just from this passage. Number one, the, and we've already talked about this, the world's opinion of what you're doing isn't that important. Right? The world thought what the rich was doing was so great, Jesus thought this poor widow has done more than all the rich. So go, go by God's opinion, not the world's opinion. Number two, you would learn that Jesus is watching. Now that, if you're a disciple, that's something you want to have stuck in the back of your mind all the time. Jesus, verse 41, he sat over against the treasury. So he's on the other side of the room watching people cast in. Jesus right now, he's on the other side of the universe, seated at the right hand of God, and the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Jesus is watching. And a third thing I think we would pull from this a lack of real-time public acknowledgement shouldn't stop you from doing good. And I understand, folks, it can sometimes get very discouraging when you have tried to do something right and good and love others and obey Christ and no one recognizes it. You get a, lack, a lackluster response or no response at all. Please take heart and know that the eyes of the Lord have seen that. And in due time, he, and the Bible tells us, he's not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. Don't let that discourage you. Jesus saw what you were doing. And then lastly, the third thing that I'd like to point out from this story. Verse 44, 43 and 44, in the middle there in 43, it says that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. So point number three this might sound a little strange, so I'll explain it, of course. Sacrificing is not a competition. 
Sacrificing is not a competition. Now, when you read verse 43, do you see a comparison going on? Do you see it there? Jesus said, this, late, this widow has done more than the rich. There is a comparison. However, and we acknowledge there's a comparison. Jesus made a comparison, but he did not make this a competition. Jesus did not say, in order for your sacrifice to be well-pleasing to God, you have to outdo the other people. That was not the point of the story at all. And there are other occasions in the Bible that Jesus compared good deeds. You might remember shortly before he went to the cross, a woman came into the room and anointed his body for the burial. The disciples spoke up and began to rebuke her and say, why have you wasted this ointment? What was Jesus' response? I've given, I've given you a different verse on your paper. I've given the verse on my notes. Let me read it to you. Jesus says, for ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good, but me ye have not always. Do you hear the comparison there? Saying, you guys are complaining because she didn't help the poor. She did something for me. I'm telling you that what she did, she has wrought a good work on me. You guys have the poor with you always. You can help them anytime you want. But she had a unique and special opportunity to do something for me. Don't think lightly of that. So there was a comparison there. Doing something specifically for Christ in the eyes of God is better than maybe a humanitarian deed. It doesn't mean that humanitarian good deeds are, are somehow unimportant, unnecessary, or wrong. Do you see that? But Jesus acknowledges this is a little more special than that. If I can borrow one of the other sayings of Jesus, these ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. It's not a competition. This story was given to shine a light on what the widow had done, to learn from her sacrifice, not to make us compete with one another, trying to steal the Savior's attention. That's, we get this childish mentality sometimes. Ooh, he's getting attention. No, 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 look at me, look at me, look at me. It's not a competition. I'll give more. That's not why we're doing it. I want to dig a little bit deeper into this. Jesus, of course, is making the comparison, the rich and the widow. And, yes, there were plenty of rich people there, that were giving for the wrong reason, I have no doubt. They were sounding the trumpet, so to speak. They were there just to be seen of men. However, I don't think all the rich were doing that. Just let your eyes move down from verse 41 to 44. Do you see anywhere that Jesus rebuked the rich in this story? Now, as we know, there were rich people there with wrong motives, right? Jesus at other times rebuked the rich for that, but not in this story. He didn't say, shame on you rich people for what you're doing. That's not the point of the story. He didn't rebuke them. Sure, some of the rich people were giving for the wrong reasons, but some of them had very good intentions. Only a few days later, Jesus would be buried in a rich man's tomb. That rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, would make a huge sacrifice and give Jesus his own tomb, which was quite an offering back in those days. So it's not as if all the rich had wrong motives. You take a rich guy that has, again, $10 million in the bank. If he offers $20,000 in an offering, is that bad? Did he do something wrong? Now, is it the same as what the widow did? Is it as great a sacrifice? No. But it doesn't mean that what he did was somehow wrong. The rich man shouldn't show up at the temple and say, okay, what's the widow giving? What's the percentage? Oh, she gave 100%? Okay, I'll outdo that. I'll give 100% and take a loan and give more. <laughs> It, it, that's not the purpose of this at all. If you really want to get down to it, in the Bible you have, I think, these three categories, if you want to break it down. You have obedience when God commands you to do a certain thing. Then it's your responsibility to fulfill that command. Number two, you can, get, you can volunteer for something. You can volunteer, but maybe you can't get that involved. You can offer, but sparingly. Do you remember that verse in 2 Corinthians 9 where Paul said, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly? So you, you can sow sparingly. I think that's what the rich did. They gave, in their context, sparingly. Is that wicked? Is that wrong? Well, no, it's not wrong, but it's not what the widow did. The widow sowed abundantly. 
She gave a massive sacrifice and it got the attention of Jesus. But let's, let's be honest with what we're dealing with. This was all voluntary to begin with. There was no command of God to give towards this building project. Both the rich and the widow were doing something un or non-commanded. So there's no rebuke for the rich man to say, shame on you, you didn't outdo the widow. It's not a competition. Here's how I'd like to pull this into our day and age and our situation now. We look at the church calendar and we say, okay, we got this event this week and another event next week and then there's a special service and a midweek service and Bible school and, and then I could be on the cleanup committee and maybe I can come to church set up and there's a prayer meeting and then there's an outreach on Saturdays and whoo, you start to, I get tired just mentioning all of it. And then you look at that, you go, man, look at all these other people that are this involved, getting so involved. I'm not getting as involved. It's not a competition. We're not trying to see who can tick the most boxes on the ministerial list and who can attend the most events. You might be extremely limited in your time and you don't have time to come to every event. And matter of fact, for you to come to one event might be a big deal because you don't have that much time. So please do not fall into the trap of thinking, well, these other people attend so many things and participate in all these ways. I'm not that involved, so evidently I'm not as good a Christian or I'm not that good of a church member. That's not the case at all. Here's what I'd like for you to see. Proper sacrificial service entails three things. Number one, look at what you have to offer. Evaluate your resources. Number two, look at what gaps need to be filled. Look at where you can get involved. Look at possibilities. You don't need to make stuff up. There's plenty of things we, you can do. And then number three, get involved as best you can. Now, is that simple enough? I want you to recognize what I didn't say. I didn't say, look at your resources Look at what needs there are. Look at what others are doing and then get involved. Didn't say that. Didn't say that. If I could slip a fourth thing in here, here's what I'd like for you to do. Look at what you have. Take stock of what resources you have. Look at what needs there are. Look at your Savior. Consider what He's worth to you and then get involved. The verse I've given you at the bottom of the page, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Whether you're giving money, time, food, clothing, skills, whatever it is, if you're going to give it, it says give as you've purposed in your heart. Question, you folks help me out. The widow threw in all of her money, yes? Yes, are you with me? You folks with me? Did she throw in all her money? Did she do that next week as well? Did she do it the next week and the next week? And the, Do you think she pitched up every week at the temple and said, here's everything? The widow would have died and that sacrifice would have ended. <laughs> what we're reading in the story is simply Jesus commending the sacrifice the widow gave, recognizing that it is special to God. He is not rebuking the fact that sometimes you can't give all your living. Sometimes you can show up and get involved sparingly, and that's okay. However, you don't want to fall into this comfort zone of saying, okay, I will show up and do as little as I can, and that's as much as I'll ever do. I do not, I'm not trying to stir up this massive overreaction, this horrible conviction to go, oh dear, I'm not doing everything. I'm not giving until it hurts. Therefore, I'm doing something wrong. I'm not attempting that this morning. Nor do I want you to walk out of the building extremely comfortable saying, oh, good, no matter what I decide to offer, that's going to be enough. What I am hoping to accomplish this morning is to get you to consider what you do have, not just the abundance, but even the thing you don't have much of. And I want you to look at that in light of what your Savior means to you. And say, now how can I use these resources, the abundance and the lack, for His glory? Years ago, there were some men that wanted to be involved in the work of missions. They wanted to reach slaves. People that were being sold into the slave market, taken to uh, Haiti and places like that in the Caribbean. 
And these two Moravian brethren, they tried to sell themselves into slavery. The slave owners wouldn't buy them. So they said, okay, we will find a way to get onto another ship and sail to the same island so that we can preach to those slaves at least. They were willing to sell their freedom. That sacrifice. You can't do that over and over again. That's a once-off. Nobody expects that of you every single time you give to God. Those men made this sacrifice. They bought the ticket, high price, got on the boat, hung their heads out the window, and as they were pulling off from the port, they were recorded as saying, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And that's what I want you to consider this morning. In light of what Jesus has done for you, in light of what he means to you, look at what you have. You don't have to have an abundance to make a big difference. It doesn't matter if the world sees it, Jesus is watching. You have an opportunity to show him how important he is. You may not get this opportunity every day. You may not be able to give as much every day, time, resources, food, money, whatever it is. But there should be some time in your life where you look at God and say, God, you didn't command me to do it. I just love you and I want to do it. There should be that time somewhere in your life. Years ago, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus, he did precisely this. He came to the earth. He looked at his resources. He said, I will leave behind heaven. I will make myself of no reputation. I will empty myself. I will take upon myself the form of a servant. I will humble myself all the way to death because I'm going to make the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus, he gave up not just his living, but his life. Why? To show you just how important you are to him to make it expressly and abundantly clear how desperately he wants to reconcile you to God. Can we not then take that same example and say, Lord Jesus, based on what you have done for me and what you mean to me, I now want to. And I can't do this over and over, God. I can't. But God, I have an opportunity here. I have a chance there. You mean so much to me. I want to make use of the little I have to show you just how important you are to me. These special sacrifices, the world may not appreciate, but they are close and near to the heart of God. They don't go unnoticed. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Music will play softly. As I mentioned earlier in the sermon, you might feel a bit of a disconnect with this widow. I, I, I really can't relate to her. But I want you to take a longer look at your life just for a few moments. You're allowed to look at the things you have in abundance. You might be able to be involved with those things. Nothing wrong with that. Maybe you can't give it all every week. There's nothing wrong with that. That's life. That's normal. But maybe there are some things you haven't even considered that would make a big difference. And you don't have to do it this week. You don't have to rush out and give away everything you have but I think it would be healthy to at least take a few moments and consider. Lord, I know what you've done for me. I know what you mean to me. And if I have to give up a little extra time or part with a little extra money or even part with a lot of it, you are worthy to receive the reward of your sufferings. It's not a contest to see who can outgive the next person. Don't worry about how many pats on the back you get while you're walking this earth. That will come later. 
Isn't it comforting to know that the eyes of the Savior, sitting from afar, are fixed upon you even now? Why, some of you this morning, you woke up tired, you've had a rough week, maybe not feeling 100%, you got a lot of things on your mind, distractions, family trouble, work trouble, and here you carved out of your scheduled time to come to church anyway. And maybe you don't feel 100%, you think, well, I, I didn't... God, I didn't give you my best. You still pitched up. That's something. I think God might consider that special. Lord, thank you. All those years ago when you came down and made that special sacrifice on our behalf. Lord, you were the abundantly rich man that gave 100% of what he had. Help us never to take for granted that acceptable sacrifice you offered to the Father on our behalf. And Lord, if there's somebody here that has never accepted that, please stir in their hearts. Let them see just how precious and valuable that sacrifice was. What a big difference it makes. Lord, show us what we can do, how we can be involved Encourage those, Lord, that are trying to do what they can and maybe they don't see the difference they're making. Help them to stay faithful. Lord, we want to be careful to give you something that you want. I believe you've told us in the Bible so many things that would be helpful. Show us where the gaps are that we can fill them. You're certainly worth it. Please, God, have your hand upon us this day. We have so much more we'd like to do with each other and for you, with you. Please bless our efforts today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.